Thank you, Lord. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And um, I don't have that uh, on the, the, the slide presentation, but that's okay. So what I would like to do this morning is I want to build off of the foundation that Pastor Rob McCorkle laid last week in his message. How many of you were challenged, inspired, encouraged? That was a good word last week. Um, but what makes it more amazing to me specifically is that as he uh, opened up, this is amazing. I just want to share a little testimony. It may not be awesome to you, but it is awesome to me. So three, about three weeks ago, uh, our staff came into the sanctuary and we started to pray. As it, You remember? We started to pray. And it was about three weeks ago that uh, I knew that I would be speaking the first couple weeks of August. And so in that prayer time... If you know this, God just starts dropping things in your heart. And so at that time, I really felt like the Lord said, I want you to talk about agape love. So Rob uh, comes up and he says, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I want to talk about two mandates from scripture that uh, God wants us to live by. And the first words out of his mouth are pursue love, pursue love. And it was funny because I had already had a conversation with Pastor Dwight about where I felt like God wanted me to speak. So he looks over at me and he's like, he's about to steal your sermon. And I'm sitting there smiling like, I hope he doesn't steal my sermon because I'm going to have to rewrite another one. And so I sat there just smiling the whole time because I felt like it was such a beautiful foundation to build off of, of what God gave me. Now, what makes it better is that uh, afterwards, I came up, to me, came up to him, as you would assume, I would be very excited. And I came up to him and I said, Rob, I said, that's exactly what I'm going to talk about next week. Now, this is where the testimony gets awesome. He said, in the middle of worship, he said, I had a whole other sermon written. He said, in the middle of the worship, the Holy Spirit said, you are to start talking about agape love. So what I'm saying is this, is that there must be something about agape love that Redeemer's Church needs to hear right now. And so I, I, I don't want you to take the message lightly, and I don't think you ever take a message lightly. But I want you to understand that there must be something that God is trying to impart in our hearts as a body if there's a recurring theme. And so we're going to continue to build off of that. Now, what you know is last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, starts with these words, pursue love. It's not just any type of love, it's agape love. But it's almost like a, um, I don't know if it's a benediction that comes off of a, off of a service where you preach, and then you come back up and you kind of like re-preach. Uh, I remember I was invited to preach uh, at a primarily um, uh, black church, and I, had no, I was not familiar with the, the order or the arrangement of the services, and so I ended up preaching for like an hour and 25 minutes. I, I sat down because the chairs were up on the stage, which was awkward during the whole, whole worship service. I'm just like standing, looking at everybody that's worshiping. And so I'm like worshiping God while looking at everybody that's looking at me. It was Pastor Jarvis actually used to do that, right? The chairs at the back. But anyways, so uh, I, I, I preach. There's a little bit of ministry. 
And then the pastor comes up to me and says, now go ahead and like go up there for the benediction. I said, Ben, who? What is that? And, and so like I almost like came back up like, so like I said, this is what we were talking about because I didn't know what I was doing. So anyways, but 1 Corinthians 14 is almost like a benediction. The way it starts is almost like a, a capping off what 1 Corinthians 13 was about. It's almost you could insert the word, therefore, pursue love. And there's some, some key scriptures in 1 Corinthians 13 that I want to kind of uh, just mention at the beginning. And Amy actually uh, read one of them, I believe, or wrote one of them in the midweek uh, worship email. Uh, but there's a couple things here that I think are so important. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 and 2. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and of angels is referring to uh, being charismatic. If you speak in tongues, but do not have love, say, don't have love, you become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Anybody know that those are the most obnoxious things? It goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, the faith, right, he's referencing, he's almost, Paul's using this example that Jesus referenced. If you have just a mustard seed of faith, you can move a mountain. He says, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. 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 That Greek word there is not just nothing, it's no one. You're not even anything. You have no identity. Listen, this is the gravity that Scripture places on love. Now, this is 1 Corinthians 13, by the way, is no other love but agape love. It's not phileo, which is friendship love. It's not uh, storgi, which is family love. This is agape love. This is God love. This is not just uh, God's love for us, but this is the love that God exhorts the followers of Jesus to demonstrate. So it's not like, and I, I love this, that so often as followers of Jesus, we read 1 Corinthians 13, and we're encouraged because we're like, this is how God loves us. It's not that one-dimensional. This is actually, this is how God loves us, and this is how we are supposed to love other people. You know, it's no, it's no accident that on the back of these shirts, we have loving God and loving people. So maybe this is just a brief refresher course on who we are as a church. We are a church that loves God and loves people. And so we need to look at 1 Corinthians 13 through the lens of this is not just how God loves us, but this is how we are to love other people. If we do not have agape flowing through us, we are nothing. We can prophesy and speak in tongues all day long, but if it's without love. Love is the package. It's the Amazon box, right? And so when you read 1 Corinthians 13, this sets up those two words from 1 Corinthians 14.1 that Pastor Rob talked about. 
Therefore, pursue love. He's not changing the word. He's saying, you've just heard what agape is all about. Therefore, pursue agape. Can I get an amen? amen? So this morning, what I want to do, that was the first point this morning. I, I want to answer the question because Pastor Rob talked about this. And once again, if you weren't here last week, it is on our website. Go to our website. Go to the, I believe it's the media tab. Click on message center. And the, the first message, I think, on the list is um, being governed by the Holy Spirit. And that's the message that Pastor Rob spoke about here. But, but I want to, want to encourage you to listen to that. But I'm going to build off of that. And the topic this morning is why pursue love? Why? Why pursue love? What is it about this type of love that God wants us to pursue? And the first point is the one I already gave you. If you don't have agape love flowing through you, 1 Corinthians 13 says, every other thing that you do is nullified. Don't matter. So why pursue agape love? Because without it, we're nothing. We ain't nothing. That's what this scripture says. So we join with, uh, that was an encouraging edification to begin this morning. So bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to go ahead and pray. Jesus, I pray that this morning we would take your word and, Father, it would just flow into our hearts. God, that there would be a deposit, a genuine, authentic deposit of the word of God in us. God, we thank you, Lord, that your word has so much ability to transform us, to transform us from the inside out, God. So I pray that you would transform us this morning as our minds are renewed. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, I am so happy because I just woke up that way. Some of y'all came in here like OSU just lost to Michigan. <laughs> so I'm going to probably be smiling a lot this morning, even though the word is challenging. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is, when you're there, say, I'm there. I'm going to be reading from the NASB. Jesus is, uh, he has just arrived with his disciples in Jerusalem. And uh, this is his last week, uh, essentially alive, before he is to die on the cross. And so uh, this was a week of a lot of teaching, a lot of kind of last minute instruction, a last will and testament explanation from Jesus with his disciples and Matthew chapter 24 is no different. And so uh, I love this because here, the, the, the premise of the first about, uh, I believe, 20 verses is Jesus is instructing the disciples about what the future is going to look like. Matter, matter of fact, uh, my Bible actually starts out and it's titled, Jesus Tells Us About the Future. So what Jesus is about to do is he's about to give a snapshot and a glimpse into what 
the future looks like. Now, what I want you to do is as we read this, I want you to be mindful of the initial question. Why pursue love? Why pursue love? And it says in verse 1, Jesus came out from the temple. And he was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you uh, not see all these things? Truly, I say to you, not one stone uh, here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of who's coming? Your coming and of the end of the age. Now, in the American mindset, there's a lot of fear that is associated when Jesus, with Jesus returning and his left behind's fault. I'm kidding. <laughs> Y'all read that book series? There's so much fear associated, but they're not asking this out of a paranoia. The disciples aren't asking Jesus, so they're like, uh, when, when can you let us know so we can like move out of Jerusalem before this happens? They're asking out of an anticipation and an excitement. Because what you have to know about when they're asking this is that the Hebrew mindset about the end of the days is different than the American mindset. And a lot of it has to do with the reality that in America, we don't want to lose our stuff. We don't want to lose our stuff. We build a monument. We build an empire. And we're, we're afraid to lose it. In the Hebrew mindset, they didn't see it that way. They were excited to hear that when the temple was destroyed, it was going to usher in Jesus coming because in the Hebrew mindset, the Messiah would come and restore all things. So they weren't afraid. They're like, when is this going to happen? I can't wait. And so we have to read scripture understanding that point. The Hebraic mindset sees the end of days not as the end, but as a transition into a new age of the Messiah's coming when all things get restored. That's good news. So they weren't asking out of fear. They were asking out of an anticipation, when is this going to happen? And it goes on to say, and I want you guys to just hear, I want you to hear what Jesus describes about the future and see if any of this sounds familiar. He goes on to say, and Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. That word mislead specifically pertains to leading someone away from truth. Any of that happening today? Okay. It goes on to verse 5. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. I watched on Netflix the Waco documentary. Anybody watch Waco on Netflix? Crazy. It was about David Koresh. Crazy. Okay. People have been saying they're the Christ for centuries. Okay. So that is in, it's happening right now. He says, for you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you, are, listen, see that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. Now listen to verse 7 and verse 8. For nation will rise against nation, 
That word nation in the Greek is ethnos. And it's not just talking about countries. It's literally talking about ethnic groups rising against ethnic groups. Summer of 2020. Nation ethnic group will be divided against ethnic group. Rising. This is what Jesus said. He said, for nation will rise against nation. Paul actually uses this same word when he literally talks about everyone that's not a Jew. He's, when he says Gentiles, he's talking about ethnic group. He's not talking about nation. So nation will rise against nation is ethnic group will rise against ethnic group. Jesus said this was going to happen. Now, uh, it goes on to say, in kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of labor pains. The earth is in labor. Now, what's interesting about verse 7 is that in much of the Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek texts, there's something added there, but because, I don't know, for whatever reason, they choose to remove it. But I want you to see what is included in, in the Hebrew Matthew. Okay? Let's go on and read this. Nations, or ethnic groups, will go to war against each other, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be terrible earthquakes, seismic events, events of epic proportion, horrible what? In famines in place after place. This is how the first contractions and birth pains of the new age, when Jesus comes to restore all things, happens. So, like, y'all know epidemic and pandemic are kind of the same thing. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Verse 8, this is how the contractions and birth pains of the new age will begin. Romans 8.22, Paul referenced this. He said, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And it goes on to verse 9 of Matthew chapter 24. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Any persecution going on? Okay? In verse 10, at that time, say at that time. At time. Many will desert or fall away from the faith. Last year in 2019 in August, someone who was a well-known Christian author, Josh Harris, who was a pastor wrote, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which was a revolutionary relationships book, said, I'm no longer a believer. Just walked away. Posted it on Instagram. I'm done with the faith, y'all. Hey, it was a good ride. See ya. In that same month, a worship leader at Hillsong Church, his name is Marty Sampson. If you know the early rise of Hillsong music, Marty Sampson pretty much wrote every single song 
he posted on Instagram. He said, I feel like I'm losing my faith and I don't even care. Now, I haven't done enough research to see where he is, but I don't know. All I know is scripture said, Jesus said, in the last days, people will walk away from the faith. And can I tell you something? This rose up in my spirit about six months, six months ago. We see in scripture that God challenges us to agape other people, but do we agape God? Right. What do I mean? What is, what is agape? It is unconditional love. Thank you, Royal. Do you agape God? Because if you agape God, what that means is come hell or high water, I still believe. Do we agape God? Because in America, it's hard not, it's hard to agape God. Because we're inundated constantly with the American dream that will become often, it's a slippery slope and it's deceptive, it can become a contingency we put on God. God, if you don't do this or that for me, I said it in junior high, God, if you don't help me get an A on this test. Do you agape God? See, many will desert or fall away from the faith and will betray one another and hate one another. In the future that Jesus... Doesn't this look so bright? In the future that Jesus talked about, there will be a falling away. And I want you to remember what Pastor Rob talked about last week. In agape love, there is no room for offense. That doesn't mean that someone won't hurt you. It just means that your hurt doesn't turn into offense. The word offense literally means you build a fence between someone and yourself. And you carry that fence everywhere you go. It's, it's, it, what it means is that you can exist in the same environment, but that person gets your cold shoulder. So, like, you're like, hey, what's going on? You see them going, coming around, you're like, hey, what's going on? Y'all good? And they're constantly, they're not in the circle. You won't let them in because you have a fence that you've built. See, the scripture says that person will betray another person. Now, can I, can I give you some encouraging news? You have the spirit of Jesus Christ on the inside of you, and this happens as a result of people not being yielded to that spirit. This is not your destiny. Where you are predestined to betray one another, to hate one another, to fall away from the Lord, that is not your portion. Jesus is just saying it's going to happen. Because remember, you and I get a choice as to whether or not we will be in the remnant. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? And it goes on to say, in verse 11, many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And this next scripture is what the Holy Spirit dropped in my heart at that prayer time. And this is why pursuing love is so important. Once again, Jesus describes what the future will look like. And because lawlessness is increased, not some, 
Not a few, but what? Most, most people's love will grow cold. Not, not, not a little bit, but most. Can I tell you, in 2020, you got to watch your love growing cold. I'm just telling you, you got to watch it. And, and if you can get this word for the house, for Redeemer's Church, because I'm, by the way, I'm going to preach part two next week, and this is not an advertisement, but I really don't want you to, to not come next week, because next week's uh, message is called Love Starts Here. But you have to understand that it is the church's responsibility to demonstrate agape, to model it. And so this says, because, because when lawlessness increases, the love of some will grow cold. How many of you have ever seen the movie Frozen? Anybody ever seen Frozen? How'd the movie start? It started with a song that said, beware the what? The frozen heart. Frozen was prophesying about this problem like eight years ago. That's why you need, Disney was prophesying. That's why you need to watch Disney movies said, beware of the frozen heart. This is what Jesus was talking about. Because when lawlessness abounds or increases, the love of most will grow cold. The Greek word for lawlessness is this. It means the condition or state in which law is violated or utterly ignored. To me, lawlessness is when the line between right and wrong becomes distorted and blurry. How many of you know that lawlessness has arrived? The line is blurry. The line is distorted. Everybody has an opinion on what the line is. And it's the byproduct of postmodernism and and tolerance that says your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And as a result, you have a line that's distorted and blurry and subjective because everybody has the line. And so because everybody has the line, no one knows where the line is. This is lawlessness. Lawlessness is when uh, right and wrong becomes distorted and blurry, blurry, any lawlessness going on in 2020. See, how many of you know that we are living in a time where moral law is ignored or violated, but we're also living in a time where civil law, both at times by those who should abide by it and those who should enforce it, are both ignoring it and violating it. This is where we are. And this is the time that we're living in. And this is the future, the bright future, that Jesus was painting. But as Pastor Dwight said last week, light is the brightest in the darkest of places. This really is the time for the church to shine. And it requires agape love. So let's go on. And it was in this environment that Jesus said, because lawlessness, uh, uh, the love of most will grow cold. Cold is an interesting word for Jesus to use. It's an interesting adjective because when I think about the word cold, it doesn't necessarily mean dead. It could mean numb. You ever been cold to the point where you're numb? You're not dead. You just lost your feeling. 
The definition of numb means deprived of the power of sensation. Unresponsive, lacking intensity, unable to feel or respond normally. When something is numb, it lacks mobility. It's a frozen heart. Numb doesn't mean that something isn't alive. It just means that something isn't active. So when Jesus says, because lawlessness abounds, the love of most will grow cold, what he's saying is that the love is still there. It's still inside of you, but it's not active anymore. People, what they're doing because of the lawlessness in the culture is they're shutting love down. How does that happen? Can I tell you? I'm not preaching this because this is a word that God came, brought to rebuke. I'm preaching it because this is what I've seen happen in me in 2020. And here's why. Because when I look at media every single day, when I watch the news, when I see all of the terrible atrocities that are happening, I can only take so much emotionally. We are gluttons for punishment when we subject ourselves to negative news all the time. And what happens is because every one of us can only take so much emotionally, we shut down because we can't take it. It's a coping mechanism. I can't continue to love because it hurts too bad. And so as a result, the love doesn't die. We just become cold and numb and we turn off our feeling because it hurts too bad to feel anymore. We see injustice after injustice after injustice after injustice and we can only take so much. So we just have to say, I, my only option, if I'm going to continue to be emotionally healthy, which we're not, my only option is I can't care as much as I used to. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, I believe that is what is happening in 2020 when, it, when Jesus said, because lawlessness abounds, the love of most grows cold. It's not that it's dead. It's no longer active. See, one of my questions this morning is, has your ability to love become numb because of the chaos and lawlessness in our culture? Has it become numb? See, I didn't even notice it. I didn't even recognize it up until that prayer time. And what I found out was this, is that just because you may not be in the heat of what's going on in culture doesn't mean that you couldn't be caught in the crossfire of it. No one is immune to what's going on in our culture. Now there's scales of the impact and the effect, I understand that, but let me give you a story um, or an illustration. I always uh, do a, a decent job of um, uh, first time meeting someone, except for this moment. I was, I don't know how many years ago, but it was the first time that I met Allison's grandfather. His name is Pappy. And uh, we were at some sort of cookout, and we were playing cornhole. Now, Pappy was observing. He was just watching the game. And uh, I had my final beanbag in my hand. And, and Pappy, throughout the game, had been... A, a, increasingly getting closer to the range, 
to the zone where we were playing cornhole. And uh, so I had my last bag in my hand, and I, I'm literally like this, about to release it. And at that very moment, Pappy thought I was done with bean bags, and he was assisting the other guys. And he goes and steps in front of the zone, bends over to collect the bags to hand them, and the bag lands on the back of his head. This is what happened. I'm like, no! And Pappy's here, and it's And he's like, ah! That's a great first impression. That's the guy that hit me with the beanbag. It's okay, I hit my dad with a golf cart. That's fine. Softball, a myriad of things. It's one of my gifts. But what happened was, Pappy was just a spectator, and he got a little too close and got caught in the crossfire. This is what's happening to our love. Our love actually, through everything that's going on, becomes collateral damage of what's going on. And this is what's happening right now. Let me remind you of what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. He says, so you must, say must. See, this, if you want to know how your love isn't going to grow cold, so you must remain in life union with me. I remain in life union with you, for as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. I am the sprouting vine and you're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you, but when you live separated from me, you are powerless. Can I tell you something? One of the ways in which the enemy, listen to me, is using the circumstances of our day to quench the love that you and I have to give is this way. He gets you so absorbed by the chaos in the culture and so fixated on that that you no longer spend time with the one who provides you with the love to give. You get so caught up in the whirlwind that it gets in the middle of your devotional life. You wake up where you used to read your Bible in the morning and you used to seek the kingdom first. You wake up and the first thing you turn on is the news. First thing you turn on is MSN. First thing you turn on is, is, is NBC, Fox News, CNN. And can I tell you something? That in a lot of truthful ways, we are all abiding in something. Because everything right now is out to make you its disciple. Some of us are disciples of Fox News. Some of us are disciples of CNN. Some of us are disciples of Facebook. Literally. You know what a disciple is? One who learns. Where are we learning most is who we are a disciple of. I'm just saying. Where we are spending our tutelage is who we are or who is the primary disciple in our life. And this is why we need to watch. 
what's going on. So when Jesus says lawlessness will abound and the love of most will grow cold, which type of love is he talking about? He's not talking about eros. Okay, that's a sexual love. He's not talking about phileo. Phileo is a friendship love. It requires that you make the determination, um, Jim, you're my friend, therefore I love you. The condition is friendship. Okay, storge is family love. That's, that's the type of love where you're like, I can't stand that person, but they're family. That's, you can't remove the condition. You're like, we're blood. You annoy me, but we're blood. That's storge love. What he was talking about here when he said, because of lawlessness increasing, the love of most will grow cold, he was talking about agape, which means that Jesus is warning the church exclusively. He's not talking about love in the world. He's talking about the love of people in the church growing cold. See, but one of the best ways I can describe this agape love is this. Agape love does not exist in the absence of conditions. It grows in the presence of them. But what's powerful about it is it does not require any of those conditions from a person to love them. See, phileo love is only given on the condition of friendship. Storgi on family. Agape has no conditions. Agape love, listen, and this is why it's so powerful. It removes every other condition or contingency that every other form of love places on a person in order to love them. This is how, why agape is so powerful. Because it, it draws no lines. You remember when Jesus said, or when scripture says, this is love, this is agape. Not that we agape first, but he agape us. It requires no contingencies or conditions. Okay, now let's take it one step further. And I'm going to close in a minute. Jesus is talking exclusively to the church when he talks about this. So why is he talking about agape? Because agape comes from God. We know that. When we see 1 John, and this is where I'm going to close. 1 John chapter 4 says this. And we see here where agape comes from. And I want you to note that every time you see the word love here, this is the word agape. It's no other word. John says this. He said, beloved, let us agape who? Okay, so that means we cannot hold anybody to any form of contingency or condition. Now, what does that look like? If you're chauvinist, if, you, if, you, if you're sexist, do you understand that can become a con condition, a barrier as to whether or not you love? I said this, year, I said this uh, a month ago in, in cancel culture. Your political party will demand allegiance over the kingdom. It will demand it. It fully expects it. Political affiliation can become a condition that you hold someone to, to embrace and love them. The Civil War started because of conditions. 
It started because of that. But the solution is not man-made love. It's agape love. Agape is supposed to be started here before it's demonstrated out there. It begins in the house. It starts here. He says, let us agape one another. Remove every condition. For agape is from God, and everyone who agapes is born of God. You have to be born again to have the capacity to agape someone. And not only is born of God, they know God. The one who, now watch this, the one who does not agape, does not know God, for God is agape. Let me take it a step further. Is your agreement with a person a condition for you to love them, agape? Can you disagree with someone and still agape them? Oh, let's talk about it in the church. Because everybody has an opinion. But are your opinion, opinions subjected to kingdom agape where I can say we may not agree on everything, but I still love you in spite of our disagreement? Oh, that's quiet in here. Thanks for the two amens. That's where offense sets in. In agape, there's no room for offense. So what that means is that the kingdom is so beautifully illustrated within a church where you have so much diversity and disagreement, but it's not an offense and a stumbling block for people to agree on the main thing, which is Jesus Christ. Within the church, we can be divided. The people over here can be like, this my section. If you're not with me, you're against me. If you ain't over here, all y'all over there, y'all are trash. Because this, this is where everybody sits at. Was that comment agape? <laughs> have you talked to everyone in the church yet? Or have you put up an offense because you saw a Facebook post? Oh, you're going to get to cut. I love you from a distance. I'll, I'll phileo love you. And I will, um, <laughs> if we're family, I'll like Storgi love you. But I'm not going to agape love you. Because I've created conditions. And we can peacefully coexist as long as we don't confront each other. So what I'll do is I will be in the church, but I'll have like 10 people that are close that I have no conditions for. But everyone else has a contingency. Like I'll love you if... If we can agree on this thing, you can be welcomed in if we can agree. But listen, I'm telling you, revival breaks out when Jesus is the main thing. 
not a political thing, not a culture thing, when Jesus is the main thing and we can coexist in the same building and not agree on everything, but still demonstrate agape, that's when revival breaks out because the political spirit and the religious spirit always draw lines that are conditions. And that is the type of love. Let us agape one another. We're going to talk about it next week. Love starts here. Because Jesus' last words were agape one another. For this is the way they will know. Listen. Discipleship, the greatest measure of your spiritual maturity is not speaking in tongues. It's not prophesying. It's not having faith. It's not demonstrating miracles. The greatest measure of your maturity is the fruit of the Spirit, love, which is agape. If you, listen, 1 Corinthians 13 said it. You can prophesy and speak in tongues all day, but if you don't have agape, you're not even a person. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Can we agape or do we have to agree on everything? Because if we have to agree on everything, the church will only look like you. And that's not the kingdom. I don't, look, I love myself, but I don't want to look at a whole lot of Caleb's in the same room. Some of y'all are going to get this. If I was divergent, I'd be abnegation. Five seconds in the mirror, I'm done. Okay, not trying to look it up. You'll, you'll get it. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so often in the body, we are nitpicking each other over stuff that is so inferior to the fact that we agree on who Jesus is. Shouldn't matter. But the political and religious spirit will force you to draw a line even in the church. That's why there are Democratic churches and there are Republican churches. Because in those churches, the, the political spirit said, You better make a statement and draw a line. I want a church. That has, I want a church that has Republicans, Democrats, Whigs, Tories. <laughs> I don't care. Because this is what happens. I know I'm going long, but I'm assuming you're good with it. This is what happens. We want people to make a decision based upon what we have had a revelation of, and they haven't. You better change. You know what I love about God? Jesus sat, Jesus sat at a bar with sinners and didn't call any sin. 
Because he knew, now I'm not saying that we don't address sin, but what I'm saying is this, Jesus had a discernment as to which place every single person was in. Do you remember with Matthew? He didn't even call out his greed. Matthew got close to Jesus, and because Jesus agape Matthew, Matthew just opened up and said, I'll repay everything, Jesus. I, I, I'm sorry. Do you remember that? He invited him. Jesus invited him, and Matthew was like, by the way, Jesus, like, let me tell you about what I did. I was stealing, I was taking more money than I needed to even collect. I'll repay it, I promise. Jesus was like, huh? But agape gave Matthew the freedom to be around Jesus with an issue that wasn't dealt with yet. And we, want, and we see the plank, and we say, you better come, you better correct it. If you're going to be with us, you're going to have to change that issue. Revival breaks out where agape is present. Two quick observations here. You can only agape to love without conditions others if you're born again. That's why we need to stop expecting the world to demonstrate something that it's, it's not even able to do because it's unredeemed. Number two, our ability to agape others is contingent upon us abiding in the God of agape. Wherever you abide is the fruit that you will bear most. It's just what you will, you will, you will bear. Jesus said, abide in me and you will bear fruit. Whatever you abide in most is what is the fruit you will produce. John said, everyone who agapes is born of God and knows God. That word knows is gnosko. It's the same word that Jesus said in Matthew 7 when he said, depart from me, you never knew me. And the word uh, gnosko is a Jewish idiom for sexual intimacy. You want to have agape love? It's contingent upon the degree of intimacy you have with God. That's why you will not agape if you don't think worship's a big deal. Worship woos your heart and causes you to become sensitive and intimately connected to the Father. And there is a, a byproduct of it is that the agape that is in the Holy Spirit within you will rise to the surface. You can't agape others if you aren't spending time with the God of agape. So why pursue love? Number one, without agape... We're nothing. Number two, because we're living in a world that is growing more deficient in love, period. And number three, because if we don't, our love will grow cold. Do you know that what keeps hypothermia from setting in is mobility? You've got to keep the blood flowing. So the only way that agape that your love and our love, which, which is agape, which is exclusively Christian, which is what will set us apart from everyone else in the world, the only way that doesn't grow cold is you keep it moving. 
you keep it flowing. You don't pause because you know when you get cold, what do you do? I'm freezing. You grab a, a blanket and you go into self-preservation mode. My son, every single morning, every morning, it's cold in the house. I got my, my blanket. I'm warm and I will not demonstrate agape in that moment. Boy, you better get your own blanket. And he comes downstairs and he always is like, it's big enough. And I'm like, no, it ain't. Get your own blanket. Boy, trying to grab a towel. You go into self-preservation mode when you get cold. The church will only shine brightest in the darkest moments when we are demonstrating agape. And to demonstrate agape, you have to abide in the God of agape. Will you stand with me? Now, Jesus said that we were in the birth pain stage, did he not? And he said this, he said, the love of what? Many or most will grow cold. What love? Agape, exclusively Christian. But what's the opposite of most? A few. What is the few in the body? The remnant. Yeah. So Redeemer's Church has a choice to make. If we allow our collective love to grow cold, we will not be a remnant church. Because a remnant church will be marked by a few who, who prevented their love from growing colder. If we are going to be a revival, remnant, end-of-the-age church, we have to fight for agape. We will have to fight for it. And what will happen is this. I said agape love does not grow in atmospheres where there is no conditions. What that means is that you better get ready to get frustrated by somebody who will test your conditions. Agape only grows under strain. It's easy to love my family, but greater man has no love, for no greater love is there than this, that a man lay down life for his friends. One of the things you have to understand is there are natural friendships and then there are ones that you own. That is my brother, that is my sister, we don't share blood, but we take communion together. That is my family. I'm demonstrating agape. Our blood bond is not a condition for me to give agape to that person. We have to, in order for love to flourish in the body of Christ, agape love to flourish, you have to allow it to be tested within you. And I'm going to tell you this. This is where I'm going to end. The way in which you allow agape to rise in you is you take your frustration to Jesus. <laughs> when you think you're good, bro, I'm good, man, I'm fine. My love is on point. And then someone makes you angry. 
you better go plug in. Because I'm going to tell you, some of the best responses I had to people who drove me crazy were after a prayer walk at Blacklick. God, you better get my heart right. Because I'm not about to release agape. They will know that we are Christians by our love. Love has to start here. Amen. Will you bow your heads, join me in prayer? Lift your hands up. Jesus, we need agape. God, we need agape. When everything in our lives is demanding allegiance to it, God, we need agape. Father, we need to have your love flowing through us, God. We need to remove the conditions. God, I even pray right now, Father, that we would repent of conditions that we have held people to, that have been fences we've put up to cut people off, to remove people from our lives, to disassociate our lives. God, I even pray against a, a pilot spirit that washes our hands of people. It says, I, I want nothing to do with them. God, we need agape. So, Father, I pray that we would make the choice to abide in you, God. To abide in the God of agape, God. That we would be able to give agape to other people. God, because of where we are, God, I pray, God, I pray that Redeemer's Church would not be a place that grows numb in love. God, that our hearts will remain tender. In Jesus' name. Amen. I agape you. Be blessed. We love you guys. We'll see you next week.